I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. Stay on the right. Stay on the right. The big dogs. Stay on the board. It's time. Live. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. Say what? It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in. And a good afternoon to you, middle of the work week, hump day, it is a Wednesday, glad to have you with us wherever you may be, streaming live, of course, tcmartinshow.com, and a glorious, lovely day here in Las Vegas, again. Today, we've got a lot of football to talk about as we let the hype begin, let the prognosticating begin, or handicapping, whatever you want to say. As we start breaking down the college football playoff championship game, looking forward to that. That is Monday night. little programming note with you as well, too. Friday at the Westgate, inside the world-famous Superbook, as we always are, and Monday as well. So we will be broadcasting leading up until the championship game between University of Michigan, the Wolverines, and the Washington Huskies, who will be crowned national champions. On Monday evening, we're looking forward to that. They will kick it off a little bit after 5 o'clock. We'll be at the Westgate from 2 to 4 p.m. So, yes, show Friday, show Monday there. The quarterback, Jay Schrader, will be joining us with our our good friends from the Westgate and other guests as well. So we look forward uh, to those shows on Friday and Monday, talking a lot of college football championship. Plus, we've got week number 18 to get to in the NFL. And we are going to have plenty of backup quarterbacks. And we've had plenty of backup quarterbacks throughout the course of the second half of this season. But when you look at what's going to take place on Sunday, and I understand, Patrick Mahomes will not play for the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs, not much they can do. They are locked in and clinched the AFC West. Lamar Jackson will not play, announced by John Harbaugh today. So... Uh, he's on the shelf. Baltimore has nothing to play for. They are the number one overall seed in the AFC as they've already clinched the AFC North. Cleveland making a decision to bench Joe Flacco. And you can kind of sense that if you watch the Browns play last weekend that they were celebrating like it was, like it was 1999. I know it's been a long time since uh, the Browns have been in the postseason. Joe Flacco, who comes over by way of Baltimore, by way of New York, and uh, didn't know exactly how the Browns fans were going to you know, take him in and treat him, but it's been fantastic. He's been a blessing uh, for them with Deshaun Watson you know, being injured, but Joe Flacco has, has done a marvelous job, which kind of begs the question, is Joe Flacco going to be the quarterback for the Browns the entire postseason? So he will not play as uh, the Browns have locked themselves up uh, into a playoff spot, and then uh, other quarterbacks uh, that are not going to play um, as well. We mentioned Mahomes, we mentioned Jackson, mentioned uh, Flacco, Brock Purdy not going to play for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Niners have locked up the number one seed in the NFC, winning the uh, NFC West once again, so he is going to be out. And Matthew Stafford will not play as the Rams are in the playoffs, Uh, really can't enhance their positioning. So those are five really good starting quarterbacks that will not play. Now, you know the networks are not real crazy about that, but, hey, you got to protect your quarterbacks, your star players, especially with so many injuries that we have seen this season. And you know what? There are going to be more injuries that happen in week number 18. Uh, the Miami Dolphins are decimated by injuries, really, on both sides of the ball. They are shell themselves. Hence why the Buffalo Bills are a three-point road favorite, and I expect that number to probably rise uh, as well, too, because uh, you're not going to get Raheem Mostert. You're not going to get uh, um, Jalen Waddell, uh, so you're missing them. The defense has been a mess basically for the last five or six weeks, and more and more injuries keep piling on there. Tua is not 100% healthy, 
Tyreek Hill, not healthy. And now Tyreek Hill going through a personal matter today. He left practice early because there was a fire at his home in um, in Miami Gardens there. So uh, he had to attend to that. Uh, family came out of the house. They were safe. But the, the fire is burning. And a 9,000-square-foot mansion that Tyreek Hill has that uh, he purchased after the Chiefs traded him to the Dolphins. So the Dolphins got a lot of stuff going on right now. We saw the disappointing performance a few weeks back at home against the Tennessee Titans. And then we saw the blowout last week where they just got obliterated by the Baltimore Ravens. We had talked about that. We have predicted that. Not a shocker there. And again, the Dolphins and the Cowboys have been two easy handicaps all season long as they beat the teams they're supposed to beat, but when it comes time for them to play a team with a winning record, they don't get it done. And that was evident again with Miami, and that's why I uh, don't think either one of those teams are going to go deep into the playoffs because of that. You're going to have to face nothing but rock-solid teams in uh, in both conferences there. So the Chiefs are struggling, the Dolphins are struggling, the uh, the Cowboys struggling to a certain degree, especially when they play the upper echelon teams. And the Eagles are struggling. Nick Sirianni, he's under fire from the Philadelphia media. Uh, you know, his job seems to be safe, but this is a team that's definitely underperformed, losing three out of the last four games. So a lot of intrigue in week 18, but it will feel like a preseason weekend. It will, because you're going to be missing a lot of the star quarterbacks and other players are going to be resting. 20 teams are currently still alive. Of the 32 teams, 20 teams have Super Bowl aspirations. And uh, five teams have clinched. So, therefore, their quarterbacks uh, will will be out. But, um, yes, there's still some drama with uh, teams fighting for wildcard bursts coming up this weekend. So, uh, we'll take a look at that. Uh, mainly tomorrow, we'll dive into that. Today, we are going to dive into the college football playoff. We talked a lot about it yesterday recapping the New Year's Day games, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. And uh, we'll continue that theme uh, today. Chuck Esposito will join us from over at Red Rock, the fine race and sports book director of all the station casino properties. And, of course, uh, Chuck hunkered down at the uh, flagship there over there at Red Rock Station. And uh, Trevor Maddich will join us today. Of course, our guy, ESPN's guy as well, too. Uh, No one breaks it down like Trevor Maddich. But we start the show off today with another one of our guys that we love going to. All right, we got the player, we got the analyst, and we've got the coach as well with us today. The one and only Houston Nutt joins us, the former coach at Old Miss, Arkansas, Boise State, Murray State. Let's add them all in there. Who knows where? He probably uh, uh, had a couple junior highs on the way up there that he, that he was a head coach while he was still pro- uh, probably in junior high. Who knows what? But my guy, Houston Nutt, uh-huh. who could put down barbecue and chicken with the best of them. What's going on, brother? There you go. Wait, I forgot steaks. I forgot the steaks because you put down the steaks as well. I've witnessed it firsthand. That's right. That's right. Don't forget that, brother. All good. All good. It's got to be you. Man, it is. But it's you. First of all, Happy New Year to you. And I know you had a Merry Christmas, and, and hopefully you had a very happy New Year as well, too. And I know that you were probably hunkered down there in McKinney, Texas, uh, watching those games uh, in front of your TV. I don't know uh, if you had friends and family, but I know you had some good food. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was awesome. Uh, nothing like that time of year, man. Just sitting back and we got family around. I got grandkids. <laughs> hey, now let's, hey, let's, hey. let's back up a little bit here because, you know, for those that don't know, I mean, this is really the first year that right. your schedule has opened up a little bit and not with CBS Sports after so many years uh, of coaching and then uh, many years in the media with CBS, and you're still doing a lot of, of radio hits like this one and television appearances, and I get that. But did it slow down for you a little bit? And Because uh, uh, right now, at this time, you'd be going crazy. You'd be you know, probably yeah. making your way to the national championship game. You'd be visiting bowl games. You'd be in the studio. You'd be doing all that, my friend. So kind of talk how the last couple of weeks have been for you personally. Yeah, that, I tell you, TC, it was uh, much different than the last 11 years. And uh, you keep thinking, well, I got to go get on an airplane. No, I don't. You know, I, I keep thinking, oh, I got to go pack a bag. No, I don't. And so that was a great feeling uh, to be able to just sit home and uh, maybe do a few radios, go speak to a few people to come right back home. Uh, it was really good. This was a good transition 
and really enjoyed you, you you said it the first time really to be around family and everybody uh during this time where it's just hey we're gonna eat we're gonna we're gonna play games and we're gonna watch football and so then that that was really good so i really really enjoyed it, it definitely definitely slowed down yeah definitely and when you coach for all those years that you did and then pretty much you jumped into yeah. the broadcast studio and booths you know right right after that and again a lot of people don't you may not understand, but when you're when you're doing the broadcast, whether they're game broadcasts or the studio analysis, or you're previewing games or recapping games, it really isn't that much different uh, than 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 the head coach, right? Because you're spending just as much time watching tape, film, you know, uh, digital, whatever you want to call it these days, right? So then when you go through that. I mean, probably Houston, I don't know, I'm not speaking for you here, but I'm just guesstimating, you know, probably the last 40 plus years, that's been your life. And now all of a sudden, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, I'm not coaching, but now I'm stepping back a little bit from the TV. So it it, it had to be a little bit of a jolt. You know what? It it was. And that's the biggest uh, eye opener for me, making the transition from coaching to uh, studio, going to New York. I was always in the studio. And very thankful for CBS for that. But, you know, we'd start getting researched by Sunday, uh, Monday. And, I mean, you start reading, and names were very, very important. Now, you got to get somebody's son, that's one of Mama's boys, and you better have that name uh, pronounced correctly. And and so a lot a lot of stuff, a lot of, a lot of reading, uh, a lot of studying there. Uh, and, again, uh, you know, you always miss that competitive spirit side where you're you know you got your team going against that guy on the other sideline you oh boy you missed that but uh that was the next best thing to be able to watch games uh but this year was really definitely it just uh it, it just put a confirmation big old stamp on it. every time i look around see that little two-year-old or eight-month-old grandson hey i wouldn't be i wouldn't be around them here uh during this time i'd be up in the studio i'd be missing all this so uh it felt good to kind of slow down just watch it but uh Hey, there's 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 nothing like this time, and can't wait for one more. And the thing about it is, I mean, you have not slowed down with your uh, analysis, and you're still watching probably just as much college football, uh, you know, right now. And uh, you know, it, it's great. You know, so I love still uh, having you on. But so you know, obviously, I want to talk with you about what we saw on Monday with the college football playoff semifinals. And now, you know, let's concentrate and, and look ahead to the national championship game here on Monday. Uh, but I really want to touch the Washington-Texas game with you. As we saw Washington defeat Texas 37-31, you're down there. You're in Longhorn country. What happened to the Longhorns? Now, we know they were a favorite in this game. They were three-and-a-half, four-point favorite. They were playing from behind that entire game in the Sugar Bowl. But as crazy as that game unfolded Houston, they had a chance to win it. They had four cracks inside the 15-yard line. I'm watching this thing saying, you know, okay, even Washington goes up by a score. Texas comes back and tied up. They never had the lead. And then Washington had the two-score lead. They had the nine-point lead because, you know, they missed the extra point earlier. So I was like, okay, you know, wait a minute now. Now they're down six. They got the ball. Oh, my goodness, they're they're driving. They got a chance to pull this up. I don't know about you, but to me it felt like, no way in the world they deserve to win that game, but then right. they were in control of their own destiny, and they blew it. They literally blew it. So I want to know what you were seeing as the coach, as a former quarterback, especially when you saw yours basically just disregard the left side of the field on that final drive, disregard the middle of the field, honed into the right side. It almost looked like he was a rookie quarterback. Right. Well, I want to go back to about eight minutes when Washington has a 13-point lead. Now, I listen, I, I've never met the coaches at Washington. I have a lot of respect just outside looking in. I've been on the sideline watching them, and I love what they do. This Michael Penix is phenomenal. But if you go back to about at the eight-minute mark, uh, Donna's asking me, what, 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 why are you yelling? I'm, I'm, I'm yelling at the TV because – it's okay to run that ball ever so often. Now you've got a 13 point lead. If you're Washington, I got some Ken folks in Washington. So, uh, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to go to the championship game. And I mean, with, with how this thing unfolded and I, and that's why I say eight minutes. I mean, there's, there's double reverse passes going on They're They're, they're trying to score a hundred looks like, and you've got a 13 point lead. And I know how good Texas is. 
And so then let's fast forward down to the very last couple of minutes when the running back goes down and I, I got a, the coach. He showed a lot of composure, but I'd be going nuts because that clock's not running anymore. You, you could have got that thing down to about 27 right. seconds, but you don't, you right. don't. Right. So now, like you said, now Texas, they got three or four shots to the end zone. And it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm thinking Texas is going to win. And guess what? Probably deserve to win the way they hung in there and, and fought to the bitter end. And Washington did not do a good job with that clock. Now, who am I? They're 14-0. and And they deserve a lot of pats on the back. I mean, they're the funnest team I've ever seen to watch with, with Penix. And, and, and I can see why Penix wanted Indiana. Uh, it's easy. Winning follows this guy. But the clock part of it, and I, I I get analytics and all that crap, but, hey, win the game. Texas, if they would have thrown a back shoulder on the line, these, these corners were playing off. They're so worried about these receivers. There's a couple of times this back shoulder on the line, they score. And, I, you know, I didn't understand the little swing pass to the right, right. on one of those plays. But, you know, it's easy to second-guess when you got popcorn and Coca-Cola and M&M's and Reese's like what I had watching it. Hey, All at the same you know, time? Uh, all, really? All the same. Wow. Said, mix that. Mix it. Mix it. Mix popcorn, M&M, peanuts, and, and Reese's with popcorn. I promise you, it's a winner. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm not doubting it. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to dispute that at all. You, yeah. you are the heavyweight champ of the world when it comes to, to to food and football. There's no question. I don't know about that. But I mean, you anyway. notice I said you're the heavyweight champ. I mean, I'm. I'm like the the lightweight champ or the middleweight champ. You're the heavyweight champ. Uh, you're, you're. You're. I've never seen anybody can put down cheeseburgers like you can in the face of thin. I'm really. Uh, <laughs> I get back. I just thought. It, it was an incredible game, but my goodness, Texas could have very easily won that football game. I know. Very I, I know. And I could have, I really thought they were going to because of the clock. Uh, it, it just blew my mind. And uh, uh, Washington's fortunate. They're fortunate. Now, Now I know a lot of people say, well, Coach, they got the best quarterback. They got this. They got that. And we had, but I'm just telling you, when you go back and look at everything, especially the clock, Oh, you could have eased. You'd been sick to your stomach, Washington, if you lost that game the way you lost that game. When that running back went down, I said, "Uh uh-oh. Yep. Clock. Hey, Hewers has got a chance now. The clock stopped. (sighs) And so, oh, my gosh. I mean, it was was unbelievable. You had to stay up and watch it to the end, my man. And and here's the thing. You can make the case that both teams, Alabama and Texas – gave the game away. As crazy as that sounds, everyone's talking about how great Michigan was and how great Washington was, but again, there were holes there. And and go back to Washington. This is why I have had problems believing in them because of the close games. Washington State, Oregon State, Arizona State, you know, and then the, the the two victories that they had over Oregon by three points each. But for the most part, they had these narrow victories, and they didn't score forty and fifty points like a lot of people thought they did against those teams that I just mentioned: Oregon State, Washington State. You know, they're in the twenties. You know, what fifteen right. to seven right. against Arizona State? I'm going. Wait a minute, I'm just still not believing it. Penix is great. Like liked him in Indiana. He was injured. Then again, had to miss the season there before going to Washington. Uh, so I I get all that, and the wide receivers are great as well too. But hey, yes. they faced a Texas defense, especially the secondary was not that good. Now it'll it'll change here a little bit when they face Michigan. But let's go to the Alabama game, Houston. Alabama, when you break this down, they needed one stop defensively. They needed one stop in the final two minutes. They gave up an eight-play drive for a touchdown to send the game into overtime. And on that drive, Michigan had a fourth and two. And what happened on that fourth and two? Instead of punting it away, uh, you know, Harbaugh decides, no, we're going to go for it. And what happens? He A little, little screen to uh, Blake Corum goes for 27 yards, and it flipped it. Then what happened after that? Gain of 16 on a McCarthy keeper. A J.J. McCarthy keeper in crunch time against Alabama gained 16. Are you kidding me? And then what happens after that? They gain 29 yards, and they get down to the Alabama 5, and you're going, oh, my goodness. Okay, we're, we're destined for overtime here, unless this guy's going to pull yeah. a Dan Campbell and try to go for two. But we know that's not going to happen because we, we, we don't know. We can't have that happen, that Hammonager Campbell. But anyway, then they get the touchdown. Then they got all the mojo. But – Again, you can make the case. 
Alabama gave that game away. They got soft on the D. I know it. I know it. And I, I tell you what has to be a nightmare, too, is if you go back and, and look, the snap was really a problem. Oh, geez. The, the back-to-back? The back-to-back uh, plays? Are you kidding me? It's all, it's all throughout the game, but especially yep, yep. the back-to-back plays. Yep. In crucial situations where that's got to be like breathing, it's got to be automatic. But all of a sudden, in the middle of the game, you know, man, this the snap is not it's not accurate. It, it's the guy's got to be a shortstop to get this ball now. And that makes it hard. It, it messes up timing. It disrupts. It disrupted the last play of the game. And I'm not saying that's the right card. You know, it was probably a poor card. But you ran it into the teeth of the defense, their strong point. But if you go back and look, you're on the right hash. You go back and look, that ball's to the right and low. It disrupts. It, it, it's, the, it's the timing's off. And so uh, I know Alabama's sick. And um, Michigan, though, boy, when you look at what they did defensively, and they can get home with four rushers and five, they don't have to bring six. Man, that makes a difference. And this is this is why I can't wait to watch this game. But you notice Michael Penix is a guy that he can play with a, a, a rush pocket or a dirty pocket, what we call, where – you know, when, when you're being pressured, there's a lot of quarterbacks that look at the rush and they can't handle it. You know, when it's under three seconds of protection, they can't handle it. Well, guess what? Michael Penix, he can. He, he's got ice water in his veins and he can. But this this Michigan defense is something they have not seen now. They hadn't seen something like this because I think they're really, really well coached and you can get home with four five and then you got the coverage behind it that's very very good man i i think that, that could be a long day for michael Penix. but if anybody can do it if this guy throws nothing but i mean he throws dimes he drops it in the basket unbelievable right. the coach the analyst houston nut joins us talking about the national championship game taking place on monday night michigan and washington all right break it down coach uh what are the keys to this game i know you talked about the quarterback play um give me your thoughts break it down here's the key if you let's start on the washington side you got the joe moore offensive line war that's my buddy aaron taylor he gives out this award he has a great committee and you pick out a great offensive line and they they are they are stamped the best offensive line in the country. Well, guess what? You got to play your best game, and so put it in the lap of that those offensive linemen. And you got to have a little bit of running game. You got to be able to run the ball a little bit, and to take it off of, of Michael just a little bit. Not a great deal, but a little bit. And you notice Michael uh, Penix. He he ran it. They had his legs involved in in the game a little bit. And it's pretty good, you know, when you have when you have a runner like that, that you can mix in a few of those little quarterback powers, quarterback counters. Boy, it keeps the defense off balance with that fast, you know, lightning motion that's coming across. And then you add all that on top of that, and then you you start play acting uh, RPOs. And they, I mean, the ball, their their offense is phenomenal, and Michigan is going to have a challenge with that. But I believe this: the team that runs the ball the best which is Michigan. The teams that stops the run the best, which is Michigan, will win this game in a close one. I think it'll be close, and I think Michigan will win, but I can't wait because I got my popcorn and Coke ready because <laughs> of Michael Penix. This guy's magic, man. He could have easily won the Heisman. Uh, did he throw 50 touchdown passes this year? No. He, he, didn't, hit, he didn't match Joe Burrow. Right. But I tell you what he did. He threw 35. And this guy's a winner, and he throws a very, very beautiful, accurate ball on post corners and fades and back shoulders and crossers. I mean, unbelievable. And he can do it under duress. Yeah, yeah. So how many times can he do that with Michigan will be the the answer. But I I just think because of the the physicality of of Michigan, because remember, I picked Oregon on your show to beat Washington. I, just, I picked them. So did I. You know? I know. I picked them. There's no way they're going to beat Oregon. They're playing at that. And, and this guy. Ten-point underdogs. Like, oh, Come on. You know? I'm like 0 for 3 on your show if you go back on picking against Washington, I think. I'm like 0 for 3. It might have been somebody else's show. But I think it was yours. Yeah. I'm picking against Washington. 
And and I still believe in Michael Penix, but I just don't think overall they're going to win, especially against Oregon. And what do they do? They win. So who knows, man? This is why they play the game. That's you true. don't ever know. <laughs> All right, let me get this. What's, uh, what's the line on this one? Uh, that line is four and a half. Michigan four and a half. Uh-huh. Okay, probably about right. I know, I know. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get your take on this. Uh, obviously, this is, there's another side story here in the Jim Harbaugh situation, so I want to get your take real quick uh, about the coaching aspect here. A team could win the national title here, obviously, we're talking about in Michigan, with a head coach missing half of their games. All right, He had six games where he missed because of the suspensions. Uh, very uneasy situation here for Michigan fans, knowing that that he that more sanctions could be on the way for this program next year. Harbaugh could be let go, believe it or not, or he could move out on his own. And the the feelers are already out there. He's hired himself uh, an NFL agent, so that's probably likely. But I'm going back to Houston. I want to jog your memory here to 2010. Kind of a similar mm-hmm. situation, a little bit different. Really didn't have anything to do with the coach. But you were coaching in the SEC at that time. Similar situation with Auburn. Remember Auburn had that situation with Cam Newton where he was suspended before the SEC championship game, and then he was reinstated. And then Auburn just tried to downplay everything. But this was a major story, and the media really would not let this thing go. And then he ended up playing. He ended up winning the Heisman. And, you know, his, his dad was, you know, negotiating with Mississippi State and threw out numbers like, hey, you know, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's going back years before that where it's going to take a hundred, one hundred eighty thousand dollars to get my son to, 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 to go to your school. And then they tried to dig into the situation with Auburn was Auburn offering him money at that point in time. Obviously, 2010, totally, you know, illegal. What do you remember about that year? And is this Michigan situation a little bit similar to that? Uh, with, with Auburn, because Auburn just, they ignored it and they said, Hey, you know, it's a disruption, but we've got our guy and they won the national championship that year. Right. I, I think it's, it's similar in this regard. I think both of them, uh, uh totally disregard it as, as I'm talking about in the locker room now, yeah. in the locker room. If you look, if you talk to the players, if you talk to JJ McCarthy, you talk to the defensive lineman, you know, we've heard players even crying after a game about their coach, loving their coach. And, and so there's a, there's a me against the world attitude and it brings them closer together. And so, I, you know, I think, I just think the coaches, they, 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 they tune that out. They're not, they're not thinking about that. <laughs> they're thinking about blocking and tackling and scheming it up and, and winning the whole thing, winning the national title. And then after that, whatever happens, happens. You know, if they take it away from them, vacate, whatever, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about winning it all. And so same thing with uh, Cam Newton. I remember that like yesterday where, uh, you know, it was all out there publicly that uh, Mississippi State had offered this much. And so why would he go to Auburn? He went through all that stuff. But the bottom line was, as you said, they all downplayed it and – they, he's reinstated, and what they do, they win it all. And so that's their whole focus right now is winning it all. They're not even thinking about it. That's not even a thought, not even a conversation going on about what if, what if. No, they're not worried about that. They're, Michigan is thinking about Washington first and foremost, the end, period, win the game. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, In that locker room, there's no question. But I think you know, within that program, maybe in administration or the fan base, definitely – you know they have to hear all about this and and right. and all that other kind of stuff. So uh, it's just kind of a, an interesting sidebar that will get a lot of attention leading up until Monday, and and ho- yep. I hopefully it doesn't overshadow uh, the game. But uh, anyway, my biggest joy, real quick, uh, uh, New Year's Day weekend, Houston. You know what it was for me? I mean, it was the food and all that. I had that going, but watching Georgia blast Florida State sixty three to three. That's what made me happy, my friend. And to see what the world of college football got to see what it should be all about with a team like Georgia playing to win with no opt-outs and shoving it down Florida State's throat. And then what the college football world currently is right now, the way Florida State handled that game with 29 opt-outs and basically the selfishness and the quit mentality of that. I loved it. 63-3. to <laughs> Couldn't happen any better. I was so ecstatic. 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> I get it on the opt outs. What you know, I, I do I got some I got some friends on Florida State now. I know, I, I, I know. Bad. But here's my point, brother, is Georgia should have been in. Can you imagine if, if Georgia's the best team in the country all year? We said it, they got shafted, they should have been in there. Could you imagine what would have been? Well, we could have had Georgia against Michigan, we could have had Georgia against Alabama again. Heck, you know, Georgia, Washington, Georgia. Are you kidding me? Georgia, it's Georgia, baby. Come on, you're right. You're right, and and we never have taken number one and throw throw them out the door exactly. on one loss. Exactly. You no, you're right. There's no argument for that. I guess yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. But it was beautiful yeah. to see them just drill press a team that just had no intention of showing up, and they got humiliated. They got embarrassed. And Georgia, like Oregon, because Bo Nix played, <laughs> Bucky Irvin played, those guys showed up to play, and they said, "We want to end our season the right way." So kudos to that. You know what? Right? Kudos to yeah. them. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know what kind of bums me out a little bit is when I'm sitting there watching, and I see players on the sideline with their jerseys on. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about because they're hurt. I'm talking about they opted out. But they they've been through a nice bowl week to get all the gifts and, and hanging around the team. But then on Saturday when they're getting beat, they're on the sideline with their jersey on and they're encouraging their teammates. I'm gonna tell you something. <laughs> As a coach and a player on a sideline, you can't feel real good about that. Yeah. You can't feel good about that at all. Wait a minute, you're you're healthy and you we've gone the whole year and I can understand if you're hurt. If something if you have an injury, okay, I get it. But if you're not, come on. I know, man. Finish the game. Thank you. Thank you. Finish, finish the year. game, finish the season. Yeah. Do it the right way. Yeah. We appreciate yes. you, brother. Enjoy Monday. Uh, from the comfort of your own home. Let's talk next week. Let's get a recap on this. But we got Houston Nutt. It, it's here. It's locked in. He's picking against Washington for at least the third or fourth time on the show. There you go. And I'll probably, I'll probably be I, I'm just like you. I like Michael Penix, but I'm not believing in the rest of it. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. tough, man. I've, tough been wrong. I've been wrong every time. So tell your listeners, don't follow me. That's it. <laughs> We're going to follow you to the barbecue pit. That's the only place we're following you to, brother. There you go. There you go. All right, my man. Have a good one. Enjoy. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, brother. See you, man. There is my man, Houston Nut. We come back. Trevor Madge, the X's and O's, and we start diagnosing the championship game more with Trev. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a half time. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! In the face! The doctor is now in. 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 More college football playoff talk championship game coming up on Monday. Appreciate Houston Nutt for joining us. Breaking it down with the coach's style there. Yes. And now we got more in store right to door. More of what you're looking for. We go to the linemen. We go to the analysts. We go to the, the other X and O guy from the TV side. Hanging out there in Bristol, Connecticut, doing a fantastic job. Hopefully he's had a maybe a 24-hour period where he could just kind of take a deep breath relax before he gets to the grind. Coming down the stretch. How about that horse race? There it is right now. And down the stretch they come, and here comes Trevor Maddich. You got to like that call. Don't you feel like it's a stretch run for you, Trevor? Because you got like maybe an eighth of a mile to go. There goes Trev. Look at that speed on that guy. Unbelievable. And then when he gets to the finish line, he can go. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah? Yeah? And the finish line for him will be Monday night, probably about 1 in the morning. Trevor Maddich, what's happening? PC, I I like that. I am like a racehorse because I also like carrots. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was just about to say, I, I bet you've never gotten an introduction like that before. In all your time. No, that that's the first. I mean, it, it was brilliant. I, I I actually love that. That is a terrific intro. I don't even know <laughs> where it came from, Trev, but we'll, we'll we'll run with it. How's that? Ah, oh, yeah. I see what you did. See what you did there. Yeah. It's the thing is though, genius can't be can't be anticipated. It just appears. Oh, I like that. I like that. All right. Well, so college football playoff. The Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl on Monday. Uh, what stood out more for you, genius or blunders? You know, it, blunders stood out a lot because Alabama kept on self-destructing. Yep, with low snaps and misprotections and all kinds of things, and they still 
took it to overtime and still were three yards away from scoring the game tying touchdown to continue overtime, uh, if not go for two to win it. And so they, but it, it was astonishing to me, TC, that Alabama was so thoroughly outcoached on both sides of the ball. The Michigan defense was bringing pressures that Alabama struggled to adjust to. And Michigan's offense on their key plays kept doing the same kinds of tricky, sneaky things that Alabama never figured out, or at least they never able to react to in a, in a proper way. And that's what one of the things, not to take anything away from Michigan, but one of the things that really stood out was it's been, geez, I can't think of a time that Alabama has been outcoached like this. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it, it's, we always talk about, what Nick Saban does and despite, you know, the, the center quarterback exchanges, which was a nightmare. I guess you know, you, you could talk a little bit about the play calling, but yeah, I mean, think about that. I mean, Alabama was in control of this game. You know, they didn't play a great game. Uh, but, but Michigan didn't play a great game either. And when it came down to it, Trevor, I mean, you talked about that, the drive in overtime. I want to go back to the regulation where Alabama needed one stop. And they gave up a uh, an eight play drive to tie the game, send to overtime. And on that drive, Michigan had to convert, uh, convert a fourth and two. They gained twenty seven yards on the on the screen pass to Blake Corm. Then you have right after that, you have a gain of sixteen yards on a JJ McCarthy keeper. Then you have a gain of twenty nine yards down to the Alabama five, and then you got the touchdown. Again, all they had to do was come up with one stop and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Alabama's calling card has been their defense, especially during this, this what, 10-game winning streak they've had, and they were in control of their own destiny. And I think that was the frustrating part uh, for me watching this game, and I really felt for those Alabama players because they let the game slip away. I mean, give Michigan all the credit. They're fantastic, no question, but Alabama let it slip away. I mean, that's the way I read it. Sure. Well, let me give you a tale of two plays that ends with that. Uh, last drive in regulation that where Michigan tied it and sent it to overtime. Michigan's first touchdown was a pass, an eight-yard pass to running back Blake Corum. And they had one wide receiver and two tight ends on the left side. They were packed in tight to the left tackle, all three of them. The wide receiver on that side ran kind of a post to draw the corner inside. The two tight ends ran up about, I don't know, six yards or so, and they basically posted up side by side to make a two-man wall so that the linebacker that would have adjusted to Blake Corum coming from the right of the quarterback out through the line to the left into the end zone got caught up in traffic. Blake Corum was so wide open, it was unbelievable. But it was those three guys on the left that went inside, one to influence, the other two to make a wall, that led to that touchdown. That's first half. That's Michigan's first touchdown. In that fourth and two, on the 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 last, or the scoring drive in regulation that ended with the game tying touchdown to send it to overtime. Fourth and two, Michigan ran the same play to the other side. On the right, tight to the tackle, there was one wide receiver, two tight ends. The wide receiver ran an influence route to the inside to draw the corner away. The two tight ends went up to make a two-man wall, a pick, basically. The linebacker that would have followed Corum out to the right flat was caught up behind that wall, and Corum was wide open to convert the fourth and two plus a lot of yards after catch. Now, that's the same play. The first time you could say, okay, well, maybe uh, Alabama wasn't ready for it. The second time, Alabama got beat the exact same way on the exact same play on that critical drive at the end of the regulation. You're absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And then here's, you know, looking ahead to Monday night's game where they're playing, uh, where they're playing, uh, Michigan's playing Washington. Washington is, yeah. that, is that, you know, Washington has been very susceptible on the defense. All right. And that, and, you know, we saw, you know, Oregon go up and down the field, even though they, they lost by three points in, in both games. And believe it or not, we saw Texas uh, do the exact same thing when it seemed like Texas was getting severely outplayed. So my question here, Trevor, when you're talking about coaching and you're talking about that defensive side of the ball, if they could do that to Alabama and out-scheme them and out-coach them, basically, what could it look like if they Jim Harbaugh and company has 
more up his sleeve against that Washington defense that we've seen give up chunks of yardage throughout the entire season. Right. Well, I I think that game, Washington against Michigan, is going to come down to the Washington offensive line against Michigan's pass rush. And, you know, and really Michigan's run defense. And that's where it really came down uh, in the Michigan game against Alabama. I mean, the the pass rush got to Jalen Milrow repeatedly, and they, they didn't just do it by winning one-on-one mass, matchups against the blockers. They did it also repeatedly by calling schemes and stunts as if they knew what Alabama's protection was going to be. And you can't make the excuse that, well, gee, they had Alabama signals because Alabama has known you know, the entire month that they were preparing for Michigan, that that might be a possibility. And they had plenty of time. This is Alabama's offense now to change up signals. So Michigan wouldn't know it. It's just that the, the clean, plain game preparation of Michigan's defensive coordinator led him to believe in tendencies in Alabama's pass protection. And repeatedly he kept calling those defensive pressures that would take advantage of the weak spots of those pass protections. Now, Washington is going to see that. Washington will change some things up. Washington has it, Washington has a considerably better offensive line. We've talked a lot, and I'm sure you have too, about how Washington's offensive line won the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in all of college football. And they, uh, I think, will be a lot better equipped to handle what Michigan is going to throw at them. But ultimately, the reason I say it's going to be the Michigan defensive front against that, that old line of the Huskies is because Washington couldn't run the ball at all against Texas. They tried, but their feature back, Dylan Johnson, only averaged 2.3 yards per carry. They just, they just couldn't run the ball against Texas, and it didn't matter because quarterback Michael Pennis Jr. was so dominant and so accurate in his receivers down the field, deep down the field, were also incredibly dominant that it didn't matter that they couldn't run the ball. So I expect Michigan to also slow down, if not stop, Washington's running game. And it will come down to, can Michigan do a better job than Alabama did of pressuring Michael Penix Jr.? Because if they can't, you've got to anticipate that he and his receivers will go off again. You hit the nail on the head as far as this game is so intriguing to me and I'm going to need an entire week just to try to figure out which, which team that I'm going to back here, whether it's at the betting window or just from a rooting standpoint. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, for me, it, it's very tough, but you kind of nailed this and I want you to expand on it a little bit. You mentioned Washington's offensive line, best in the country. Granted, we got that Michigan known for their defense. And they put six sacks on Alabama's quarterback, Jalen Milrow. All right. But here's the thing that gets me here, Trev. Michael Penix doesn't get sacked. That offensive line is so good that in Penix gets rid of the ball so quickly. Kind of reminds me too in that sense. I, you know, I, I love, I really love Penix game and, you know, I'm not the big Tua fan, but one thing that Tua does uh, do, he gets rid of the ball quicker than probably any quarterback in the NFL, but. Penix gets rid of it quick. This guy, you know, he's, he's in his mid to late 20s, it seems like, because he's been, you know, his six college seasons between Indiana and uh, in Washington. But how is Michigan going to apply that same pressure and have success like they did with Milrow, who's a freshman, and got six sacks on him? Will they be able to sack and put pressure on Penix? I think they will because Michigan – they don't get a lot of sacks. I think they only had 18 in the regular season, but a lot of those came down the stretch. In other words, they got better at getting the quarterback on the ground as they faced, you know, Penn State and Ohio State and, and Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. And then, of course, those six against Milrow, five of them in the first half, for goodness sake. Uh, but they all season have excelled at pressuring the quarterback. You don't always have to sack them. Yeah, you, you have to affect them. And Texas, even though they didn't sack Penix a single time uh, in that game, they still pressured him a fair amount, and they hit him hard a few times as he threw. The problem was that even under pressure, he was dropping dimes. He was throwing lasers to the exact right spot, even when he's under pressure. 
Now, normally he only completes 45% of his passes when, when he's under pressure. So that's still better than a lot of college quarterbacks and NFL quarterbacks, we're going to say. But, you know, the thing is against Texas, it didn't matter whether he was under pressure or not. But had those Texas rushers gotten there a beat faster, then it wouldn't have mattered because the ball wouldn't have been released without him being hit while the ball was still in his hand uh, to force an errant throw or worse. And so I think if you're Michigan, you've got to figure out not just how to get pressure on him and make him uncomfortable. You've got to get pressure on him and make him uncomfortable a beat faster than Alabama was able to. And that really is sort of the key to this game because, you know, Alabama had, and has really, but had now, I guess, uh, two corners that Mel Kiper Jr. had in the top five of draftable corners. They might both go in the first round. Their safeties, Alabama, were outstanding. And yet, the first pass attempt for Michael Penix in that game was a 77-yard throw deep down the field. And the ball must have gone, I don't know, 60, 70 yards in the air. Right. It was just, it was just incredible. And they just dropped a dime on his receiver with the defender right there. We're not talking about Penix throwing to wide open guys all the time. We're talking about Penix dropping dimes to receivers who were tightly covered by future NFL Alabama defensive backs. And so, you know, the, the thing that Michigan has to expect is that he'll be able to do it against their guys too. If, they don't get to him a beat faster than Texas got to him because Texas was there a bunch of times but never actually affected the, the track of the ball in the air. Trevor Mass joins us, ESPN College football guru, as I like to say, and talking about the Monday's championship game coming up between Michigan and Washington. Yeah. Let, me, let me stop you. I, I, I said Alabama. For for Washington, uh, I, I met Texas. I know Texas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just wanted. Yeah, go no, ahead. We got you, brother. Uh, speaking of uh, Dylan Johnson, you mentioned him. You know, he did get injured uh, there at the end of the game uh, for Washington. He is expected to play lower body injury. So uh, you know, with him not uh, being available, that may tip the scales a little bit. But it looks like he will be able to play. Not sure the extent of the injury, or how much he is you know, how successful he'll be, especially against that Michigan defense. But uh, looking forward to a great game. All right, Trev, you got to pick a winner here. Let's go. You talked about the key matchup. How do you think it plays out? You know, I'm still thinking about it, and I'm still getting my brain wrapped around it. I want to I want to watch the, the, those two games one more time. But I'm leaning Michigan. And the reason is this. Washington has one big advantage, and that's Penix and his receivers. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball, whether or not Dylan Johnson is at full strength. Uh, they couldn't against uh, Texas, and I don't think they're going to against Michigan. Mm-hmm. Washington's defense, you can run on it. Texas ran the ball at will against Washington's defense. There were two times, though, where drives were stopped because after a really nice run by a Texas running back, Washington's defense forced fumbles and stopped drives because of those takeaways on runs that were really good runs. And so Texas wasn't able to maintain continuity, and they were both in the second half. Um, and so I think Michigan will also be able to run the ball effectively against Washington. I think Michigan's defense is going to stop Washington's run. I think it's all going to come down to Penix and his receivers against the entire Michigan team. That, that really is what it comes down to. And I've got to lean Michigan because in watching what happened against Texas, Michigan is going to do a better job of being clean with the football and have those running plays stack on top of each other one after another as they drive the ball down the field on the ground like Texas did, but not fumble it away. Michigan historically and this year also is one of the best in the country at playing clean. In other words, fewest among the fewest, uh, uh, turnovers and penalties and things like that. And Alabama, where they, or excuse me, um, Texas, where they had those two fumbles was massive against Washington. And I think if Michigan doesn't repeat those mistakes, 
I think they have many more advantages than Washington will be able to bring to bear. All right. Looking forward to it. Michigan, a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Trevor, let's close on this. Uh, we come to the end of the 10 years of the college football playoff where the four teams uh, we've had here over the last 10 seasons. We've talked about this before. We've gone from you know the BCS, the two teams, to the four teams. Now, during this time, we have seen the deterioration of the bowl games, and that was never more evident than what we saw over the last couple of weeks here, especially this past weekend. Now, as we look forward to the 12-team playoff next year, what becomes of the bowls, especially the New Year's Day bowl games? Because this was probably, you know, the weirdest or uh, most disappointing, you know, version that we've seen. I can only imagine what is going to happen when we go to a 12-team playoff and how are we incorporating the bowl games and just give us a quick look ahead. Yeah, I think they'll fold uh, the earlier playoffs into a lot of those bowl games. Um, which is what they've done with the 14 playoff where the semis were folded into New Year's six bowls. And then the championship game is not folded into a bowl. It's just its own thing. So I think they'll do that. And, you know, I've heard a lot said that there's too many bowl games and they should mostly go away. Once we get the 12 team playoff, I couldn't disagree with that more. You look at these bowl games and, and how many of them were played and how exciting they were. I mean, I mean, Western Kentucky, Against Old Dominion, 38 to 35 in the famous Toastery Bowl, right? I mean, you had just some, some super exciting games. You had a, a slugfest between Troy and Duke. Air Force and James Madison played a fantastic game. Um, you know, Bowling Green, Minnesota, two teams that were around 500, Minnesota actually five and seven played a, played a really closely contested game that was, that was exciting to watch. UNLV. Fell way behind Kansas, then came storming back and ended up falling short. You know, these are, these are games that are exciting and they're good for the teams involved, the cities involved, the charities that they benefit, the, the sponsors. They're all good. So I hope the Bulls stay just exactly like they are with the exception of having playoff games now in the 12 team playoff included in more of the bowl games so that we keep the structure that we have. I would hate to see those bowl games that host six and six teams go away because of how much good those games do for the, for the, the programs and for the communities that host them. Yeah. And I'm sure that the, like I said, those uh, will not go away. It'll be interesting to see how they, you know, take the top teams that are in the playoffs uh, and coordinate that in with bowl games. Trev, we appreciate uh, the time as always, my friend. We look forward to getting your best bets on Friday and uh, enjoy the coverage. Uh, talk a little bit about your weekend and the coverage on Monday night for you. Yeah, I've got uh, for the national championship game, Michigan against Washington. I'll have ESPN radio pregame, halftime, and postgame, just like I did for the semis. Um, I've done that for 15 or 16 years yep. now, and it's my favorite thing to do in the broadcast year. It's just tremendous fun. There it is. All right, man. Uh, enjoy uh, your time in H-Town, my friend. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. Thanks, DC. Take care, brother. All right, there he is, uh, Trevor Maddich, my guy. Fantastic. way he breaks it down. And uh, like I said, down the stretch we come with Trevor Maddich, and uh, he'll get a long rest, well-deserved rest, after Monday night. All right, we come back. We will talk to Chuck Esposito. We'll talk NFL Week 18. Got plenty of injury updates, so we'll give you with that, too. Plus, we get movie review. Yes. Let's go to the movies. I'll tell you all about my popcorn. I look inside myself and see my heart is black.